1: Hey guys, welcome to the short-term show. Today we have a guest that I'm super excited about, one of my Go GoBundance sisters, Corinne Altamare, the COO of Hearthfire Holdings. Corinne has a background mostly in multifamily and also in self-storage, but she does something a little bit different, kind of in the same vein of short-term rentals with renting out RVs. And today she is here to talk to us about that. How's it going, Corinne?
0: Hey, Avery, thanks for having me here today. It is good. The sun is shining, the birds are singing outside. I'm all good.
1: Awesome, (laughs) awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background in investing? Let's start with your multifamily and your uh, self-storage stuff.
0: Yeah, real quick, I come from a previous career in music. I was a professional musician for about 10 years. I came to real estate investing really looking to develop a stream of passive income for me uh, in between gigs, in between paid engagements to help me kind of weather the ups and downs that is artistic life. So my multifamily journey started in 2012 with one triplex. I'm in the Philadelphia area. So this one triplex was bought in the city. Um, I was dating my now husband and business partner at the time. So all of our date nights were spent touring, um, to put it nicely, not so great properties <laughs> because I could only afford so much for my first investment. Found this one triplex. It ticked off all the boxes for me. Um, and so closed on that. And then we spent all of our date nights and weekends cleaning up a couple, uh, one of the units. I pot- purchased it with two tenants in place as an owner occupant. So we spent our time cleaning up the one unit that I was meant to move in. Um, Nine months later, we bought a triplex together. I never ended up moving into that first triplex. We just and from there we scaled. We started syndicating with our family and friends, buying buying and managing in the multifamily space as a side hustle during our W-2 jobs. At this point, I was working for the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia as a project manager in our IT department. That's where Sergio and I met. And then a couple years later in 2017, I quit. The side hustle had gotten to the point where it needed at least one of us to be full-time. Sergio quit the following year, 2018. We bought our first self-storage syndication in 2019. And in 22 days, we will have six self-storage facilities under management, as well as a management portfolio, mixed use rental and commercial in and around Philadelphia. Of about a hundred indoors, give or take. Super quick, uh, super quick summary there of the past almost 10 years.
1: That's amazing. That's a lot of growth for 10 years. And one thing that I do want to kind of talk about really quick that's unrelated to the topic that you're here to discuss. So a lot of people have when they're investing with their spouse or significant other have trouble with, you know, one of them really wants to invest and the other one doesn't really want to, and there's convincing having to go on. And people ask me about that all the time because my husband is also very much my business partner and we, but I don't really have any advice on it because we just kind of said, oh yeah, we're going to do this one day. And then I was playing this position and he was playing that position and it all just kind of fell into place. Do you have any advice for people who are maybe trying to convince a spouse or a significant other to invest?
0: I also have no advice. you <laughs> and I are both equally crazy. Um, and it was just such a, na- I mean, we started investing and started our business before getting married and moving in together. So that's just how nuts we are. Um, but, <laughs> but it just, it, it worked for us uh, for where I think we were both at the right point in our lives and had so much alignment in the fundamentals that it really wasn't a big thing and it has been, I don't wanna say natural cause there has been push and pull, but it has um, it has certainly progressed relatively easily. Um, he is the numbers side of the shop. He is your stereotypical IT guy where he's a fixer, he's a tinkerer, he likes to tear things apart and rebuild them in order to figure out how things work. That's how he started in IT. He applied that same, thought process and approach to building our business. From the very first triplex, I never knocked on doors to collect paper checks. We stood up a property management business almost immediately to legitimize um, ourselves and to serve as the intermediary between us as the owners when we were uh, originally purchasing as individuals and the tenants. Um, So we built everything from the beginning to scale and that's all Sergio. That's that's all him. I'm the operations side of the shop. I am the person that takes the big ideas and then gets them implemented and follows through on the day-to-day operations. So maybe less sexy than the big picture vision, but it takes both personalities for an effective business relationship, for sure, and for, for running our household and, and now raising our four-year-old daughter as well.
1: That's awesome. There, there's a lot of parallels there between the way you guys do it and the way we do it, also. So that's uh, sorry, guys. This is not the episode to get advice on how sorry. to get your spouse to invest because I don't <laughs> nope. have any advice and neither does Corinne. <laughs> Just do it. Okay. So let's dive into your RV rental business. What gave you the idea to start renting RVs?
0: It was out of necessity. It was absolute necessity. Our backs were up against the wall. Uh, We had purchased our first self-storage facility out in Lancaster County, which is about an hour and 15 minute drive from where our home is in Philadelphia. and. When we started out, the plan was to hire someone local to be a part-time on-site manager. Now, transitioning from being entrepreneurs that wore all of the hats and did all of the things ourselves to hiring an employee and managing that employee, hiring the right employee and then managing them correctly and setting them up for success. That was a little bit of a stumbling block for us at first on our first self-storage facility. We also did not have the demand for a full-time employee. So everything that we were looking for in a part-time position was a little bit of a unicorn. And so straight out the gate, trying to find that right resource, we had three false starts. And so in the interim, while we were going through that hiring process, somebody needed to be running the shop. So that was us because we, this was a syndication deal. We were in the project as a GP and the asset manager. So at first we were doing commuting back and forth about three hours a day around trip, which was a lot. And we had a two year old daughter at home. At this point, she was in, um, she was in full-time care. So Managing that commute or coupling that with staying out closer in maybe a short term rental or uh, something along those lines. We did that. We did a little bit of that. But the costs for that were getting high very quickly. The time cost of doing the round trip commute every day and and then one of us being home and present for our daughter and, and handling things from that front. We d- we bought a we bought a, a used travel trailer to set it up on the facility and be our crash pad out there. And we would split the work weeks where one of us would go out Monday, Tuesday, come home Wednesday, and we'd swap Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So one of us was on the home front because at this time we also had our property management. Uh, portfolio as well. So we were neither one of us was full time allocated to self storage operations. We are also managing our property management portfolio. So we split the weeks where one of us was designated at home and on parent and property management duty. And the other was out at the storage facility living out of the um, travel trailer hooked up there as our crash pad and until we could find the right person to step in. So that's that's how we started.
1: Wow. That yeah. is some creativity and some dedication for one of you to be there at all times until you were able to get somebody. That's that's some real work ethic. I'm impressed.
0: Thank you. Crazy. Back's <laughs> against the wall, but you make it work.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so once you figured out the staffing and you're like, OK, I have this RV now that I'm not using all the time. So is was it at that point that you said, oh, well, maybe I'm going to try renting this out short term?
0: yes so the next um the next inspiration came for our um for our next uh self-storage syndication that we closed on it was a three property portfolio one of our uh passive investors came out from california during due diligence he wanted to uh get behind the scenes on syndication operations and and all of that. So kind of be the fly on the wall while we were doing site visits and working with the sellers and all of that. And he very just casually offhandedly made a comment about his son renting out their family RV when they weren't using it and making 10 grand a month. And that, that set off some light bulbs for sure for us. Um, And so we looked into it because with our storage facilities, we have space to park them, because one of the big things, especially as we're closer to more urban markets is, okay. where do you run the RV rentals in and out of? Where do you store them? Do you have a driveway? Do you really want to be running an RV rental business out of your house or can you find a space nearby, a large parking lot, maybe with an office on site or something where you can facilitate returns and people checking out um, and all of that? So we knew that we had the space with our storage facilities that had parking. They had office space. We had storage facilities where we could where we could safely store all of the supplies that we would need for all of that. So when this uh, investor made this offhanded comment, that really just started us researching it a little bit more and seeing what else we could do since we had gotten through that first initial uh really just emergency need of having to use it for our business operations. And that's when we then took the jump and we purchased two new Class C motorhomes in end of 2020, January of
1: 2021. So what platform are you renting these out on? Is there a platform similar to Airbnb for RV rentals specifically?
0: There is Outdoorsy and RV Share are probably the two market leaders. There are plenty of others, um, uh, but those are the, the those are the two market leaders. And our listings are on both sites. We are also standing up a separate um, landing page off of our primary property management page, where we can direct friends and family for. A friends and family discount uh, since Outdoorsy and RV Share take a, a decent sized commission cut for using their platform.
1: Cool. So, how often are your RVs getting rented? What's the occupancy rate on something like this?
0: Occupancy rate? No, I don't have that number, but I will say that we have looking at our booking list for the rest of May through October. Across the three units now, we have a couple openings still left in May. Um, June, July and August are pretty well booked up. So I'll have to really drill down and figure out how we do the occupancy rate and get that translated from RV rentals into into that language. Uh, But I will say that we have seen really massive demand. And that was a big part of us going in a little bit further and purchasing the two units. Is the impact that we have seen COVID make on this industry is not only our clientele and the clientele that we're seeing when we're out personally uh, camping and and at um, RV resorts and things like that we're seeing a lot of families with young children this is a much more economical family vacation option we're also seeing people maybe with larger families who don't want to travel on planes for various for various reasons right this is a much more comfortable way to travel we have had clients use a rig really more for an oversized truck, right? If they're transporting and driving, again, a family with a a decent number of kids down to the Carolinas, for example, and weighing weighing the expenses and the efforts to do airplane travel and checking all the baggage and all the stuff versus trying to drive maybe two cars packed full of luggage down it's much more easier and comfortable to rent a rig for the week and have that for the family to spread out during maybe a long longer stretch of drive Versus, uh as well as also uh we've had clients that are renting them for months they're doing maybe a cross-country trip from east coast out to west they're doing they're doing the route 66 drive or going down to florida for a couple weeks so i don't know if that's exactly the question that you asked but that's the type of demand that we are seeing for these rigs right now um and so that's why also why we decided to get in with purchasing not just the one, but also the secondary. They also serve as backup so that if at any time something breaks or we have to take one out of rotation, we can easily swap in. We bought two models that are two feet difference in length, but otherwise the interior is very, very similar so that we can easily swap out if for any reason we need to take one offline for repairs or maintenance or anything like that.
1: I've definitely, even in my limited RV experience, have seen how COVID has affected the RV, at least purchase market. We bought one, I think, in September, and we had the hardest time finding one because we didn't have like a super specific List Maybe, I mean, Luke might disagree with me. I didn't think my list was that specific, but, you know, I wanted the TV to be directly across from the couch so that when we're driving, the kids are looking directly at the TV. That's very important to me. (laughs) So, um, Mm -hmm. and then we needed some bunk beds and there's a lot of models that had bunk beds, but then they didn't have the TV in the right place. So, um, but there were just not anything available there wasn't anything available at any yep. of the rv places or even any we really tried hard to be economical and to buy a used one but they were just they didn't exist so yeah. it's definitely it's the people are definitely you know you could be more in control of your own environment than doing that than than going on a plane so i have Absolutely. one question about that does your do your motor homes rent more than the travel trailer or vice versa
0: so in our scenario, yes, the travel trailer rents for one to one hundred and fifty a night. It is used. We purchased it used because, again, the scenario what we were buying it for. We were just whatever we could find and get in there and get get working immediately. So we bought a twenty fifteen model for fourteen thousand. We financed it. The monthly payments are one thirty five ten. That one rents out for one hundred to one hundred fifty a night. Um, our brand new twenty twenty one. Uh, Class C motorhomes rent for two to two fifty a night, depending uh, on again very similar to short term rentals and similar to how we operate our self storage business. Pricing is dynamic; right? it's on demand. It's based on where you are in the season, where you are in the week, um, and and all of that. So those are our general price ranges. We're also still playing around with pricing a model. Um, Cruise America, which is a really big RV rental outfit. Um, they have a pricing model where they charge bare, bare, bare bones. So if you're searching for the absolute cheapest baseline rental, you'll probably come across them. But then there's an upcharge for every single little thing. If you, you know, you use an extra turn signal on your miles, you know, that's gonna be another five bucks or whatnot. So okay. there's there's that pricing model of bare bones and then adding on all the additional a dollar here, a dollar there, or there's the all-inclusive everything's in model. Um, so we're still because we have three units, we're playing around with how those different price models are received, and we'll see. We're still we're still experimenting on which one maybe to land on going forward.
1: Okay, so the motorhomes rent are more have are more desirable than the actual trailer, is What you're saying?
0: For now, yes. There's I mean they're new. They've got that brand new car smell. Um, so there's certainly, and then they're easier to manage and to navigate because they're all self enclosed you're not dealing with if you're towing the, the travel trailer you're dealing with the hitch you're dealing with leveling and, and getting that all set up at the site versus the motor homes where you just drive them as you would essentially an overextended large SUV they're 28 and 30 foot so you just drive them as you would a large car so they're much easier they're much more approachable for the general public for renters so that was our that was also our decision to go into that part of the asset class now we also we got some great direction when we made this pivot and decided to go in to go into this space speaking with the dealership directly so we worked with a dealership local to us they had a rental division up until relatively recently they made the strategic decision to shut that down because they were just absolutely killing it in sales that it wasn't worth them from an hr and um, just the turnover on logistics perspective it wasn't quite worth it for them to maintain that division so when we came in talking about that our plans to stand up kind of a a mini fleet, if you will, if you want to call three, a mini fleet. Um, The guys there were really helpful. They shared, they shared kind of their, their workbook of how they, how they operated. They shared their lease agreements. They shared perspective on what types of models were best received by the market, how to handle things. Um, And so they've been Uh, they've been a really great resource for us. Thank goodness. Of course we came in and bought three rigs from them. So I guess (laughs) it's also in their best interest to keep us functioning well so that we continue to buy. Uh, But we got really I want to say we got really lucky there, and met some good quality people, and they've been incredibly helpful as we kind of got things up off the ground and started running. So their insight on what types of rig to buy, the layout, as you were talking about, the layout to look for, what can accommodate your ideal market, um, all of that, we really benefited from their wisdom and their openness and willingness to share.
1: That's awesome. It's so nice when people are helpful and want you to do well in those kinds of situations. So that's really cool. So when in between the rentals, so who's cleaning these things? How does the turnover work? Give us a picture of what that looks like.
0: Right now it's Surge, but we have a job posting and are interviewing
1: because it's to the point where
0: it's it's not the best use of any of our time. Uh, but I have been summoned home a time or two to help him empty out tanks uh help with the cleaning the outside cleaning we have um we've requisitioned our house cleaner to do the to Mm -hmm. clean out the rigs kind of on the side for additional so we're we're cobbling it together still right now we're still you know in the early months of really standing this up as a business in line with everything else that's going on with our real estate investments Uh, but at three we have the scale where we can allocate a resource to all three to handle the reservations, the coordination uh, back and forth on that. Now, a lot of that also is automated um, or otherwise streamlined through our listings and the platforms with uh, Outdoorsy and RV Share. Um, So we uh, pre-recorded videos for for renters to get familiar with all the mechanics of the rigs um, so that that's because sometimes it could be a lot to read. So we find putting together the videos is a good reference. And um, so for right now, it's us. uh, But we are interviewing a person to really take the lead with this and run with it.
1: Cool. So another question that sticks out in my mind is when you're putting miles on something and when you are, you know, using gas and just putting, you know, wear and tear on a vehicle, basically, how does that work? Is that something that is allocated or there's charges that go through the platforms or is there a limit on how long they can how far they can take the unit how does what does all that look like
0: the answer to that question is yes so these are uh these are five-year depreciable assets our business model and our plan is to run this very similar to how you would in a rental car business right where you have a fleet brand new cars, you run them for two to three years, and then you refresh the fleet. So that's our similar plan or approach with with this. Uh, We do charge for mileage, Uh, we do the renters are responsible for getting their insurance lined up. So Yes. To answer your question, we are doing what we can to pass the expenses uh, through to the renters and then additional surcharges. If it is over a certain threshold, so for example, um, the the story that I told earlier about someone looking to rent these for a couple months to do Route 66 across the country. There was a lot of negotiating there because that was a little bit more above and beyond um, than maybe your standard weekend rental.
1: Are most people doing like a standard weekend or week long rental
0: we are getting now that we're into summertime, we're getting one to four weeks, Uh, we get a couple weekend turnarounds here and there. But again, because of where we are in Philadelphia, we're getting we're getting more rentals of uh, folks wanting to go down south for the summer, maybe with the kids or the family, that sort of thing. So there are decent, there are decent time uh, length of reservation.
1: Gotcha. So at what mileage threshold is it time to refresh a unit? And you may not have worked this out yet because you're not there quite yet, but what are you thinking? How many miles before it makes sense to, to replace a unit?
0: Yeah, we haven't quantified that in miles. We've right now our going in assumption is maybe two years. We'll see how I I'm, sure we'll have to evaluate and see how many miles do get put on them and how they are holding up so that's that's our assumption right now i'll have to come back next time and let you know
1: sounds good and i mean it may be a situation where it's just kind of like getting a little beat up and dingy and it's not necessarily a mileage question so much as a hey you know this thing's getting a little ratty it's time to replace
0: Absolutely. And again, because of what the demand that we're seeing in this market 10 years ago, RVs were not holding their value. But now with where we are, um, the, the growth of the RV parks and glamping and all of that was starting was well on its way before COVID. And then COVID hit and really just skyrocketed the demand in this industry. So the resale market is still quite competitive as as you said yourself trying to find something used at a decent price point um so our assumption is that as these as especially the brand new models as they get some wear and tear on them and it's time to refresh so that we can continue to charge top of market rates will we expect that there will still be the demand for us to um, trade them in on the resale market and go in with an all new models and rinse, refresh, and repeat.
1: This is really cool. You're making me want to go buy another one. (laughs) And ours, even though we ended up having to go with a new one, we didn't go with like the newest, fanciest thing ever. I think we got a, it's a Fleetwood flare. The payment on that is actually really similar to, we have a like the Ford version of a Suburban. It's like an Expedition XL. I don't even know what it's called, uh, but it's a 2020 and the payment on our 2021 RV, which is 37 feet, I think, is really similar to the Expedition, which I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that, but that's where we are.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um So our one, we bought one cash and then the other one we financed and on the one that we're financing this is the 30 foot. Our, our monthly payment is $600. So if it's renting out for $250 a night. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All you have to do is rent it for a weekend to break even at least on the RV payment. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what are you, are you handing these out just kind of bare bones? Or are you stocking them with anything? Do they like sheets and towels or is that all up to the renter to bring with them?
0: We are doing bare bones right now because of COVID and the uh, being sensitive to cleaning and people's uh, comfort levels with that. We went into this assuming that we would have to fully outfit them and everything. But then again, going back to our, our dealer contacts and other people that are in the space and doing this, uh, there seems to be things are just completely fine being rented bare bones right now.
1: Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. I think that's what I would want if I were mm-hmm. renting one. Um, yeah. Now, what we
0: what we are thinking, we'll see how the rest of this season treats us and the business overall. And if we want to continue down this path, uh, but we have some decent warehouse spaces at our storage facilities. So what we are thinking is. Um, setting up essentially an a la carte, if renters do want to rent additional supplies for their weekend or their month or whatever, if they don't wanna buy a camping grill or beach chairs or a kayak, or, or don't wanna schlep their bikes or the kid's bike seat and whatnot, having those supplies kind of available on a first come first serve basis and adding them to the rental for an additional per item fee. Uh, but we're not doing that. We wanted to keep it simple to get started, and we'll see how things go. That's our potential next step, and we'll see. We'll see how our market is, where the state of the world and all of our global health is as we turn the corner through the rest of this season and then into next spring.
1: Now that's a really cool idea. That's a super cool idea because I mean the op options are limitless There are not just chairs i mean paddle boards bikes all kinds of things so that's a really really great yep. idea cool uh, i think that's i think that's all my questions on the <laughs> rv really. just to get started at least yeah now, I have a lot. <laughs> and again
0: like all of our experience building the management business building the self-storage operations we came this is just another business arm, essentially. So we didn't have to build up too many other um, operations back-end systems from scratch. We're just kind of adding this on to our existing. Um, so we didn't have to like build a lot of that if we were starting without also having the management business and the real estate investing um, and the, the self-storage management. Maybe that would have been a little bit of a, another hurdle to get started. But even there, um, RV share and outdoorsy make it so easy to operate um, your rentals, the, the uh, reservations and check-ins and checkouts. We, we have a Matterport camera that we use for our properties, for our apartment rentals. So we use Matterport on our listings so that people can get a full experience of what it's like inside and outside the rig uh, before they decide to rent or walk around. And we do do complimentary in person. We'll meet um, them. I don't know if we'll continue that as we scale, but for now, uh, as we're just starting to get uh, our foot kind of in the door and build up our presence and our experience and our rental history, we're going a little bit more above and beyond there to make sure that we're providing top-notch customer service from that perspective. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, a, a lot of our experiences, because we didn't come to this as our first Foray into real estate investing, uh, we had a lot of systems already in place to help us just add this on to everything else that we're doing.
1: I really love the mix of your portfolio and what you're doing with your entire business because I think that so many investors get so caught up in the silo that they're in. Like I'm only multifamily; that's what I do. I'm the multifamily guy, or I'm only Airbnb, or I am I want a 100 acres of glamping sites all across the United States. And I think it's really important to have different types of investments in your portfolio, just like everybody always says that about stocks. I think that people go all in on one thing and think that that thing is the right and only way. And I know when COVID hit last year for us, we had about half short-term rentals and half traditional long-term rentals, single families and duplexes. And we it that was the best feeling knowing because we thought that the short terms were going to like all that was going to be the end of short term. You know, we didn't know. But it felt really good to know that if that happened, we have all these other investments over here that are going to keep making the money that they've been making. So we don't really have to worry about it. And now, granted, exactly the opposite happened. The short terms boomed and then. We only had one eviction, so we only had one person to really worry about. But I know in long-term rentals as a whole, the eviction moratoriums and things like that ended up being a lot scarier than what was going on in short term. But anyway, that's my really, really long way of saying it's a really (laughs) good thing to just diversify your portfolio. And I think you've really done a good job of that.
0: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That was something that we've had in our sites since... I would say 2016 because we were watching in and around our market in Philadelphia, right? We were watching prices and we were very aggressively buying and and the numbers just kept going higher and higher and ultimately got to a point where we really couldn't make the case for ourselves individually or for our investors and syndications to continue in that vein. And so that's when we pivoted to self storage. That's when we we sold a lot of our center city uh right downtown multi-families and thank god we did because those types of properties right now in in philly are, are really struggling um so we're very happy with the kind of redirect that we made we did continue buying multifamily, but in the suburbs in more blue collar um going more to um I don't want to say affordable housing, but more moderate housing prices. Whereas our city rentals were top of the line, all brand new, everything top, top, top of market. So we've been adding that diversification in over the past few years. And then this is just a really interesting kind of cash flow stream that we're exploring. And we'll see how it goes. Right now, it's all our own personal money. We're not bringing in any partners or investors uh, because we we always eat our own dog food first right we we right. test it out anytime we're trying out something new we do it ourselves first and if and if the model bears fruit and we think that it might be something that we can continue to grow with partners or investors then we'll then we'll go in that direction but right now we're still figuring everything out making it up as we go and having fun with it
1: that's awesome it's important that it's fun too because i also think a lot of new investors think oh I'm going to make this great money, but it's going to suck and it's going to be horrible and I'm going to have to deal with guests or or tenants or what have you, whichever direction you're going. And it's really not. Building wealth is pretty fun. Maybe I'm a nerd, but to me, building things, whether it's wealth or businesses or otherwise, is really fun. And that's really important to, to not lose sight of that.
0: And as you grow, bringing other people along with you for the ride, that's been the the coolest thing for us as we've scaled, bringing in Other uh, partners who are maybe husband wife teams are introducing this concept to other families who had no idea about the power of real estate investing and and building up passive income streams, building the foundations for generational wealth, talking about different investment strategies so that you don't feel like your only option is a, a 529 plan, courtesy of our federal government, like writing your own blueprint for yours and your family's uh, financial future. So for us, that's the driver behind continuing to try out the crazy ideas, continuing to grow in our investment strategies that are working, uh, continu- continuing to scale there and bringing in more people as we can to share the journey, because there's more than enough to go around. Uh, and that makes, it, that makes it a lot more when you feel like you're Having fun and building wealth with your best friends, like that's that's just the best, right? Working and playing with people who you love and respect and want to see uh successful and see them grow and their families grow. That's that makes the the long days and the long weeks all all the all the worth it, all the more rewarding.
1: I totally agree. And what advice would you give 20-year-old Corinne? Uh, if she was standing here right now, what would you tell her to maybe do differently or do the same? What would you say?
0: Oh, man. 20-year-old Corinne would not be here right now <laughs> um, because at that point in my life, I was in my um, artistic music career and i that's all I was doing. Um, that was my entire life. There was nothing outside of the arts. So I would try to tell that version of Corinne to maybe maybe get her head up out of the sand for a little bit and just be aware that there are all kinds of other opportunities out there Uh, it can be easy to get overwhelmed i think in, in real estate there's so many ways to be in real estate and roles to play that it could i can see it easily getting overwhelming so maybe just surface level um maybe reading some more personal development business development books business development is big For me right now, and most recently, as we go from a team of two and a side hustle to a team of 12 full time across all these different venues, Um, long answer to your question, but that's what I got.
1: (laughs) Great answer, though. Uh, And it's good to be self-aware enough to know, like, I know 20-year-old Avery would have been like, "Uh, no, I would rather go on tour. What is this real estate thing? This is boring. So
0: yeah, all day long. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep.
1: what advice would you give a new investor who's trying to get started in today's market?
0: Today's market. Today's market. I would absolutely take advantage of all these meetups, masterminds, gurus, all these networking, everything. Um, When I started, I either was completely unaware that such things existed or they didn't. I don't know. 2010, 2012. I was also coming through a couple different life changes. So I was very ungrounded. I was in a new city, in a new industry, didn't know anyone. And so my first investment, I felt very much alone. And as if I was trying to figure out everything as I went. Nowadays, there are so many um, whether it's a Facebook community or a meetup group or podcasts or thing, things like this resource that you're putting out there, um, I would I would absolutely allocate a not insignificant amount of time, effort, and, and maybe even um, financial if there's a couple memberships that you do have to pay for to be members of. I would absolutely do that. What I've been finding since Sergio and I have made the switch to where we felt as if The operations of the business were solid enough that we could pull ourselves away from that to go network, to join groups of fellow investors or entrepreneurs, to surround ourselves with people smarter than us, people doing different things, but maybe in similar veins um, and spend that time away from working in the business so that we could work on the business right and keep our minds thinking about okay what's our strategy for next have I ever considered maybe taking this approach Um, or just just keeping ourselves in touch with other like-minded people encouraging us when the days get long and challenging and tough and also really building up our network of additional resources I mean we've read tons of books we've done plenty of self-education on YouTube and wherever else um, but what we're finding now as as we have finally made it a priority for ourselves to get out and to be in these networks, that that time away from the operations of the business has been has been massive. The return on our investment there has been has been nothing short of life changing. And so I would encourage again, I can easily see it getting overwhelming. Right. So I would maybe start with one, join one meetup, see how it goes, rather than trying to go from zero to filling up every day of the week with something. Um, But my experience has been since we started doing just a little bit of that, it has made such a difference in our life, in our perspective, in our thoughts and how we approach the next steps with our journey. So very long-winded again, but that's absolutely, absolutely what I would encourage because nowadays there are so many available for for new or, or for any investors um, to get connected with. Um, it's just it's just amazing all the resources out there now.
1: That's very true. There's a lot a lot of <laughs> education out there. That's even even free stuff. But like you said, sometimes things cost a little bit of money uh, to join. I I don't. I wouldn't say like, you know, run off and go pay a bunch of gurus a thousand bucks each, but those masterminds really are worth the money. I think if you're in the right mastermind, it really makes a huge difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I always want to be careful because there's so many gurus and experts out there. I would lean more towards joining a, a group, a mastermind or a network where you have a wide base of people that are there with you, as well as maybe speakers or experts, experts that come in you learn so much from the other folks that are on the on a similar journey. You learn so much from one another.
1: You absolutely do. And we are coming to the last question of the podcast. What is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset?
0: This is a relatively recent one for me. I think it was out there for a while. And it took me some time to find it. Um, but Who Not How?, uh, ben Hardy and, and Dan Sullivan, that, again, because of where we are in our journey, going from being two people doing everything to having a team and and bringing in and realizing that we don't have to do everything ourselves and that other people can do things better <laughs> and letting go of the ego tied up there, right? And and finding, and, it, and again, like building our team, building our tribe and our family. Um, so who, not how, I will say also that in my early formative years, like let say middle school, middle school, early high school, I read a lot of a- Ayn Rand, um, so Atlas Shrugged, and then um, I don't, I know we're not going to get into philosophy <laughs> or politics, but just the overarching theme of man and woman's capability to be. Uh, heroic beings and accomplish so much if we if if we only accept that and keep our our minds open to the massive capabilities that we can have whether it's in arts and creativity or whether it's in building businesses and industry or coming up with solutions to new problems just that from a very very high level that was um that's foundational to to my outlook even today
1: Great, great recommendations. Well, Corinne, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you for stopping by. And uh, we hope to have you back on soon. I want to hear maybe next year how this whole year went with uh, the RV rentals. I'm very interested.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yes. Thanks. Catch you next time.
0: Bye.